0: Mike
1: Eugeno. I'm Maggie Sorota. and this is three things, and three things, three things. I'm your echo today, Mike. three, three. Three. three, three. three. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm an air
0: horn, <laughs> always air horn. That, that's yeah. how you can tell we are in New York.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and today we're joined by Mr. Nick Amadeus. Uh, hey, from- hey, hey. No, you can say "Hey."
2: I'm going to say it. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to really lean into it this time. Now that it's like "Hey,"
0: <laughs> this is a podcast. We do not penalize people for talking. We encourage it.
1: Yeah, it would actually help us greatly if you did talk. We. Yeah, yeah, we really would. I'm going to choose my
2: moments. I'll choose my moments.
1: Okay. <laughs> Holding, holding his cards close to the vest. I love it. Um, now, Nick, you have an interesting kind of path through um, show business beginning when you were a child and, you know, you were the host of your own TV show. And now you're a screenwriter. So, Why don't we kind of why don't you take us a little bit of a bit journey through you, who you are? Yeah,
2: well, I think the easiest way to s- to frame this mm-hmm. is just to say that I'm from New York City. Yeah. And I think that puts a lot of things in perspective, which is to say that I grew up in uh, like just 1980s in New York City, Manhattan. I I just had a lot of opportunities because people are there. Mm -hmm. So when I was 11, I started a public access show because there was kind of like a, a thing happening on Manhattan public access at that point where, you know, like, I, I think New York public access has always been like a haven for kind of weirdos. But at a certain yeah. point, like the secret got out in the early 90s where it's like, you can just fill out a form and they put you on TV. Yeah.
0: That's, and so, so I was. What, a, how old were you when when you were doing this?
2: I was uh, 11. Oh, God. And, oh God. <laughs> right. And, and my buddy and I started awesome. a, a show about comic books. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it got picked up. It was, uh, we got a, a very official-looking uh, letter that said, we want to put you on uh, big TV. And so <laughs> they did, and we were on we were on the Sci-Fi Channel and all over the world. And What, I, what was called. the show called? It was, uh, on public access, it was called Talk Comics, and that will mean oh. something to about 40 people anywhere in the world. And then when it got picked up, it was called The Anti-Gravity Room, and that was on Sci-Fi Channel for, like, I think six seasons.
0: Wow, okay. Oh. I was
2: I I don't want to brag right now, guys, because I know some of your viewers are just meeting me, but I want to say I was (laughs) in Canada, so famous, so famous in Canada. (laughs) Sides of buses, my my face was on placemats at the Pizza Hut in Toronto. Get out! It's get out. huge things happen to me, but
1: like when you cross the border, it's so like, you get all the poutine you can eat. Like all the, all the poutine just comes at you. Yeah. They just and start maple throwing syrup. At you. like you're just like, Oh, I will never want for maple syrup in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, um, I would brag. That's braggable. I would brag yeah, about,
0: yeah. I brag about less. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's I have much less. About less. I, have I was about much less.
0: I was literally just bragging about how I got to my kid to eat food that I
1: cooked.
2: <laughs> i think that's very impressive um
1: now imagine that your face is on the side of a bus mike yeah it's doing that at me um yeah yeah uh
2: but yeah so so that just the the natural progression of things i just started working in the entertainment industry and it was like oh well this is what i always wanted to do anyway and i started writing my friend and i who I worked on the anti gravity room with, so I've known him since I was eleven. Mm-hmm. We we came up with this uh, with this idea for a movie mm-hmm. that ha- is kind of adjacent to comic books, so just as a coincidence. And that's the movie that uh, is coming to theaters. I don't know when this episode is going to be released, but it's it'll it's probably
1: out. be out. I guess so. Your movie comes out April thirtieth, and um, this I imagine will probably be out a little after. So we'll say go see your movie. The movie that's in theaters yeah. right now in theaters separation. right now.
0: Thank you all for coming. If Maggie were here, she'd just tell you all to make yourselves at home. The greatest thing about Maggie was this deep love that she had for Jenny. If I'm honest, I could have been a better father. Now I've I've got to do that. I I got to be great for Jenny. How are you holding up, brother? I can't believe she's gone. Things at home have been strange. What are you doing?
1: Baby is painting. Daddy, where do you think mommy is now? How's she holding up?
0: Jenny said she saw something in her room. Where'd you see this? You're not supposed to
1: tell.
2: An angry soul who's trapped in this world. I felt something up there.
0: It's bad. Jenny?
2: Just come up, Samantha.
1: This is darkness. What does it want? To inflict pain.
2: She's trying to give us a message.
1: um separation so you mentioned um this is coming out The the trailer looks awesome by the way you've got thank you You, the cast is stacked your cast is stacked it's crazy you got Rupert friends you got Rupert friends you got Mamie Gummer and if that wasn't enough boom you know you couldn't have been happy with that you got Brian Cox Brian (laughs) freaking
2: Cox that was Hannibal Let me let me just uh, pull back the curtain for a second and 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 totally stop playing it cool and say like that was a straight up phone call that went down the the tree of people working on this movie where it was like we got cocks.
0: Wow! Awesome. Uh, Uh, The movie looks really scary. Yeah, I, I I watched the trailer. Like just after I put my daughter to bed and it was just me and my daughter alone in my apartment. And I watched this trailer, which is that pretty much that scenario. Uh, only there's like extra things in the house. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> which as far as you know, maybe there are extra things in your house. I don't want to put that in your in your brain, but
1: it's all sorry stop stop no i want to put it in your brain mike there are all (laughs) kinds of scary things in your house sleep well sleep tight bitch oh man
0: (laughs) i'm just there's just the normal scary stuff that uh stresses me out but uh but it it looks really good do you want to tell us like maybe run through what this movie is about it's
2: called separation and it's about uh, a young girl she's seven years old her name is jenny and her parents are going through a increasingly bitter divorce and custody battle. And then a tragedy strikes and that that dynamic changes and things get very scary. Mm-hmm. And something that I'm proud of, which probably perhaps is why it resonated with you, Mike, is that it's mm-hmm. it's a New York movie. And so it all takes place, you know, in Brooklyn, in their the, the family's brownstone and um. And it's cool that the dad's a comic book artist and I feel like I got to I was I was an intern at Valiant Comics for a bunch of years. And I feel like I got to like sneak in some like memories from that that time. And it's 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 a fun ride, though. And it's like I think if you have any trauma surrounding divorce, (laughs) if you're if you're afraid of monsters, uh, if you like good acting, it's it's a it's a fun movie. I'm excited to see it.
1: Well, I remember when you said that, like, I remember when you were kind of sharing some of the news on Twitter and whatnot, and you said like, this is kind of a personal horror movie. Can you kind of get a little bit into more of what that's about? Yeah. I mean, I think
2: it's, I've talked with different members of sort of the, the, the crew that made this. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and everybody has kind of their family traumas for me. Like when I said it was personal, it's like, I slipped in, you know, there's a line that like, uh, legit blows my mind that I got it into the movie where I just had one of the characters, uh, say like, Hey, I found the, the first season of Bionic six online. Do you want to go watch it? And just uh, maybe this is me being green, but the fact that that, that show, which I don't know if you know, Bionic six, it was like, mm-hmm. it's a very cool, like, uh, um, animated show from the early 80s, the, the big thing with it was all the toys were metal. There were these mm-hmm. little metal diecast toys. And uh, the fact that like uh, that's in my brain, that's like a very specific thing from my childhood that immediately puts me in a place. Mm-hmm. And that is now like Madeline Brewer is saying that to Rupert Friend. Stuff like that <laughs> immediately like when, when I visited the set, like when I see things like that happen, I'll just start crying. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, what was it like to um i mean is this your first movie to be produced
2: yeah it's the first feature
1: so, so what was it like being on that set for your you know your first feature and it's actually happening like this is not just on the page it's coming to life and it's coming it's, to life of people with, that people know yeah it
2: was cool i'm pretty good at faking confidence mm-hmm. so i was able to like be like i I'm, i just deserve to be here also, like I said, I I did not introduce myself to anybody the first day, and I was just a guy staring intently at the monitor, weeping. And I think people must have been like, "What does this guy work here? Like, what's going on? Why is he crying?" And it's like, "Well, because she she said that thing that my dad said to my mom when I was a kid," and you know, like. Uh, but yeah, it was it was fun, uh, and it's cool. Like film sets are, I, to me, they're always exciting because it it's people really like getting kind of like in their, their hands dirty, right? Like it's a, it's a blue collary thing to like get, get the footage done and like mm-hmm. we've got this location for another day and let's, let's do it. Let's sink in. So I, I loved it. I always love it. Yeah.
0: Film sets are definitely more fun too when you are doing a project that you really believe in. Uh, just cause I do sound and I've definitely been on some film sets where I, I just want to go home, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's like, when you really believe in something, it's so much fun. Cause it is kind of like, you get to hang out with a bunch of people who are like all into movies all day. And, uh, hopefully you get a bunch of cool people.
1: Um, yeah. You know. like, Which we I did. Gotta- I gotta interject for a second, but the yeah. Philly accent really came out on home. Oh no! So wanna, yeah. Oh, it was great. No, that is all. Got <laughs> I mean, me. that's a thumbs up. I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> <can> go home.
2: <laughs> Are you guys watching the uh, the the mayor of Easttown? Have you already talked about that? Oh, no. I haven't seen
0: it yet. Uh, oh, but guys! I did everybody I know sent me an article about it? Because <laughs> they're just like, yo, they're talking about that Philly accent, or like my friends in Philly, they're they're talking about us.
1: <laughs> you know, the best representation of the Philly accent on screen and it's purely, it's not intentional, but mm-hmm. the original um, Friday the 13th, um, Kevin Bacon, like right before he gets killed when he's out in the, he's out in the rain with his girl and he goes like, let's get it, and it starts raining and he goes like, let's get in, I'm going to get soaked, we're going to get soaked, <laughs> and it's like, it's just like so startling. It just like kind of cuts through the air like that is the best mm. like Philly accent on screen ever.
2: Oh, that's wonderful. I
1: I'm one of
2: my hobbies is accents like I really am fascinated with kind of like trying to hear someone's thing and, and pinpoint where they're from. Um, and I, I got to tell you guys, you you got to check out the show, uh, uh, "Mayor of Easttown because okay it's very, it's like one of those Boston movies where it's like, it's very clear that this actor is from that place. And it's very clear that this actor is not
0: <laughs> like uh, McNulty and the wire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, the funny, I was reading about, uh, uh, why actors don't do the Philly accent in movies was because it's really hard to learn and to do right. But also when you do it, nobody knows like what the fuck you're doing. So the risk versus reward sort of set up with learning this accent is just zero. Like you, you get nowhere by learning it.
2: When have they even tried it? I mean, there was that, uh, there was the Bradley Cooper movie, right? He, he mm. went for it.
1: Mm, yeah. The, what, Silver Linings Playbook? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. Like I know he's from the area, but I don't think they really went for the accent in the movie. Like definitely Robert De Niro definitely didn't. Oh no way! I, yeah. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> did <laughs> not. I don't. Yeah, I don't think Jennifer Connelly did. Um, yeah, I don't remember if if Cooper did it. It was subtle. I don't remember. I'm, I feel like I have a like in my brain is like I have like a little kind of encyclopedia of when the Philly accent appears in film. <laughs> The only
0: time I've ever seen Bradley Cooper do it was on local Philadelphia television where he does a Lee's Hoagie ad.
2: Is that true? Is that from the past? Or is that
1: now?
0: Uh, I don't know how long ago that was, I guess a couple of years ago. It was okay, like, so,
1: so he was Bradley Cooper. Uh, yeah. All caps. Yeah.
0: And he did a Philly accent. It was pretty great. he did the That's entire, cool. there was like a, a local Lee's Hoagie commercial that he did, which was pretty hilarious. Yeah, really. really? Because oh, really?
2: the Philly accent—I always the template for the Philly accent is the Lee's Hoagies commercial. And it was like, you know, you ever, do you remember that? It was like, it like, uh, <laughs> like, "We're your regular family. We watch the Phillies on TV. We go down to the Jersey Shore, <laughs> but when we want great hoagies, discount prices on beer, and a great atmosphere, we go to Lee's Hoagies in Horsham, PA." <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, Nick, like so you like tell us a little bit more about growing up in the 80s in uh, New York, where in the city? It was it was Upper West Side, right?
2: I grew up in the Upper West Side, which at the, I, I talk about this a lot because um, it was the perfect time to experience a neighborhood changing around me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like my family was not they they were wily in that they got into this neighborhood that in the seventies was kind of rough and tumble, but like, mm-hmm. so we were like the poor family and that became more and more apparent as mm-hmm. the neighborhood changed around us. What
1: so did parents do for, what did they do for a living?
2: So they were, uh, they had both been like Broadway actors. And then uh, my mom became sort of like a administrative assistant at a certain mm-hmm. point, And my dad worked in restaurants his okay. entire life. Um, so yeah, we were like, it was just strange because, like, when I was growing up, all of our neighbors were actors, and you know, my next door neighbor was like a guitar player.
1: Mm-hmm. And he was
2: the guy who like taught me guitar, and then slowly, like,
1: was it Dan Smith? Dan Smith will teach you
2: guitar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the cool thing is you you see that guy walking around putting up flyers. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really strange, and he looks like the guy on the floor anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah. No. And and then slowly it was just like more and more bankers are in this building and like they're looking at me more and more sideways. And it's, it was a strange thing, but it was cool to me because I ended up getting, you know, access to a world that by all, um, you know, financial means I should not have been able to get access right. to. Right. So like the people who were my, my peers suddenly became like, you know, this famous person's kid or, you know, that mm-hmm. famous person's kid. And um, I, just, I yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful that I got to grow up there at that time because- it, So you
1: yeah, know. you're in the Upper West Side. So how many times did you see Alan Alda on the street, do you think, in your lifetime? <laughs> uh, I can, I remember at least three times
2: because he was like right by me. Like I would mm-hmm. see him on uh, Outside the City Diner on, on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, and And I would often think of you I
1: would say. Oh, I, yay! I would
2: say, only, if only serona were here.
1: Aww. So, did you also go to private school, like as a?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah you know, I,
1: I mean, that's got to be. I feel like if you're ever going to become class conscious, like I mean, he sounds like you became class conscious pretty early when you you know you realize you got to have these working class parents, and you're in this. So then you go to private school, and you, I imagine you become aware of those differences really fucking quickly.
2: So here's the thing, This and this is probably the the best angle my parents ever worked. Mm-hmm. They somehow convinced me that we were not poor, we were bohemian.
1: Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> so, so they got me into like a private school on scholarship.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But the reason that like we couldn't have people over wasn't because we lived in this like messy hoarder house. Mm-hmm. It was because like we're artsy and <laughs> they wouldn't get it. <laughs> which i guess on, i guess on some level is true but like it was also just like yeah so i was able to not be totally aware of it um which i think is good like i think i got to be like all right well who who here do i relate to you know and just like make your choices
1: right right
2: and have that that thick privilege baby
1: <laughs> I've, I've been to your apartment like i've been to the apartment you've grown up in on the upper right side and it's just a really cute apartment but i'm trying to picture it as like this I mean, you also showed me a plaster cast of your father's penis (laughs) at that that apartment. Um, But yeah, it's this really lovely, you know, this lovely apartment that I'm sure goes for an obscene amount of money now. But yeah, I'm trying to picture it as like the bohemian hoarder headquarters or young Nick.
2: It's, you know, it was a a youth full of contradictions and juxtapositions. I will certainly say that. And the, the older I get and the more like you kind of start to carve your own path, the more you realize like, you know, in retrospect, what it was.
1: Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But that was like a really creative, like kind of self-mythology. Your parents came up with, Like, no, they're too artistic; they won't get us." Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, man. You gotta, you gotta paint your, uh, paint your picture and tell your story, you know.
1: Yeah, you got, you gotta like set it, set your penis in a plaster. And <laughs> <laughs> what is the, what was the story behind that plaster cast?
2: I think my dad was just very proud of his penis. I mean, yes. uh, like. <laughs> I, it's a i'm I it's it's pretty big, right? Like you saw it, and it's yeah, like, yeah. it's not unimpressive. Mm-hmm. And I think he just was a dude who was like, let's
0: yeah. let's get
2: this on the record. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's like you get to brag brag about your comic book show, and he gets to brag about. Something else.
1: Like, and this, here's where that star came from. Boom.
0: <laughs> this must.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just I remember it because like I think it was at like one of your ho- your uh, holiday parties and you were just, I guess you had enough to drink where you were just kind of like showing it to everyone. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: was like I was like Nick, why? And you're like he's proud of it. I mean, I guess on
2: some <laughs> level I'm bragging through association. Like
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like an apple tree scenario
2: yeah like maybe somebody <laughs> would assume that or like maybe the, maybe it's just cool that yeah. i'm friends with this guy but either <laughs> way yeah i was like check this out um but you know like we I, i'm uh two years ago we all my family and i moved to los angeles we got out of that apartment and we are we read the, the freaking marie kondo book and so we're very like minimalist and we were like we're bringing nothing we're gonna ship three boxes of just like photos and the rest we can restart when we get to la and that was one of the only things we we brought so that's that's in my bookshelf in the next room
1: so how are you know like you've grown up in the upper west side you're a new york kid through and through um you know what's like now that you're living los angeles is your home how is that transition going so here's the thing
2: so i Here's the, the like, piece of, uh, if I may be so bold, knowledge that I have uh, come to, which is that, like, a, it, there aren't really places, there are just, like, moments, right? Yeah. And so, the moment that I was in, growing up in New York City, I've been, like, mo- trying to find that for a decade, because New mm-hmm. York has changed so much. And, yeah. it, and And part of the reason I moved, besides just, like, career stuff or whatever, was, like, it was so sad to like watch these, these re- uh, restaurants and businesses close down and get replaced mm-hmm. by like sort of boring corporate stuff. And, and yeah. I felt more and more alienated in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like I have found a place in LA that gives me that feeling that mm. I wasn't even getting in New York. So so the, the story of like the like New Yorker in LA who doesn't fit in, I just I'm not really experiencing that. I'm experiencing like, oh, I found my my place
0: and it's nice. Oh, that's awesome. No, yeah. very cool. LA is nice.
1: Yeah, I, I do. I will, yeah. I mean people rag on LA. I love it every time I go out there. I'm like, yeah, I could get used to this. Maybe not yeah. driving, but everything else, sure.
2: Yeah. And also like, I can't, I'm, uh, I've got a really weird neurotic thing about being cold. Like I just can't do it. Yeah. And so yeah. 30 whatever years of, of being like freezing for a third of the year, I just had to stop. It was a self-care choice.
1: Yeah. That, and it's like, it's really, I mean, these things, I have to like get real about like how profoundly that affects my mood. Yeah. The cold and bad weather. It's just like. Well, it's like, it leads you to like isolation, right? Yes. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah, and it's not a good thing like if you suffer if you're like me and you suffer from depression like clinical like that like third of the year where it's like I just become useless. Right and, and just like eat like you know sugar and carbs in my wa- little tra- in my little trash nest. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've been watching a lot of alone and uh, they get left on this island a Vancouver island and it rains like 200 days a, out of the year there and. Nope. uh all of them pretty much go insane. And I'm just like, Oh yeah, guess you need a little sunshine because they always have like a scene during the, uh, the um, season at some point where the sun comes out and then they all like just freak out and dance around like hippies, you know, in the sun.
1: So uh, Nick, you know, the title of the show is three things. And um, you know, we all get, we're all come on and we prepare to discuss whatever thing has been on our mind this week or day or what have you. So Nick, let me ask you, what's your thing?
2: Okay. He, here's something I want to talk about with you guys. And and Mike, you, you sort of unintentionally touched on this already when we were mm-hmm. winding up here. I want to talk about cooking. Um, because during this year, like I've always ki- kind of cooked, right? But mm-hmm. this year I was so freaked out that I went into like ultra lockdown mode Mm -hmm. and like I hadn't been in a grocery store in a year. Like I I have been cooking every single meal for a year and I've gotten really into it. And like, yeah, now I watch these like YouTube uh, channels just for like fun and to calm down, to like watch people cook. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really messing with my sense of self a little bit because I'm sort of coming to that point where I either have to like get better at eating or stop learning how to cook. Like, cause just my taste is not matching what my like skill aspirations are. Does that make sense?
0: Like, um, like your pal, like you, like you need to broaden the things that you like to eat or the things that you can taste. Do you-
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, like I'm sliding into becoming one of these people that I don't really uh, think are cool. Like I'm sliding into like becoming like nerdy about food and I don't want to do that. But at the same time, I really enjoy the process of doing it.
0: I mean, I think there's two, like to use, I guess, maybe comic books as a, as a example. Go on. Well, there's
1: like. (laughs) I'm listening. (laughs) There's like
0: two kinds of people like you've probably met where they're like the super nerdy Comic-Con person who's just like, uh, you know, eats, breathes and shits comics. Uh, And then there is like the person who just likes m- all the Marvel movies or like your friends who are just like, cool. The new Batman movies coming out. So I think like you can appreciate mm. it on both levels to be, to be like, I don't need to like live in the world of like these chefs. Cause it is like, it's super intense. <laughs> like, yeah. I, 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 um, Cause I worked at Bon Appetit for the while, a while. And there's like, a weird like competitiveness everybody's just like trying to like find this thing this magic taste the umami. you know like more salt it's always like some new trend and it's like you can't keep up with it but mm-hmm. I think like knowing how to cook and just getting better at it and like just for your own satisfaction is fun and kind of zen and I don't know like I find it like helps quiet my brain when I cook and I kind of look at it for it that way where it's like I do this process and it comes out different every time, even though I feel like I'm doing the same thing. Like I enjoy that. It's like, I don't know, like, I feel like you can try to taste new things in your own food and just, I don't know, like you don't need to compete with these people. (laughs) (laughs) I love a lot. I love and work with a lot of these people, but it's like, I can't like sometimes I have to step away, you know?
2: Mm -mm. Have you picked anything up from being around that, that world?
0: Oh, oh, yeah, like a lot. Um, uh, just like weird little things about like salting while you cook, or um, I don't know I got really good at cooking stir fries because at Bon Appétit they cooked a lot of stir fries, and oh, I was like, house, oh, in
1: the test kitchen, or yeah.
0: So you're just like, oh, that's a, like a little tricky that you do, like the um, cornstarch in the water thing that I never yeah. really thought of, but now I do it in like every stir fry I do, and it's like amazing.
1: Well, Nick, how do you kind of like, you know, marry that like kind of culinary aspiration at the back? And you have two daughters and you got like two young kids. Yeah. So when you're, you're so I imagine you cook a lot for your kids. You'd be wrong. Yeah. Oh, I'm wrong. Whoa. Okay. They no, don't. I get that. I get that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> They're not, they're not interested in anything I have to offer in the kitchen. They like, wow. they, and like, I shouldn't complain. Cause like they mostly just want to eat fruit, but like they're, uh, they like I I've tried all the things and I've I've they just don't want it they want fruit and bread and very basic and I've I've read books about it I've read blogs about it and like I think I've settled on the like Anthony Bourdain approach which is Mm -hmm. just like his his thing was like reverse psychology and just being like oh no this is grown-up food you wouldn't like it and then eventually Uh maybe they'll want to try it but like you have to just get off their back
1: Mm -hmm. gotcha See, when you first said I'd be wrong, I just imagined you like cooking elaborate meals and sitting down and just eating in front of them and then telling us you, you can't have this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, yeah, don't touch the baked Alaska yet. It's still on fire. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Mike, what do you cook? You said you cooked for, for your kid. What, what, do you, what, uh, what are they into?
0: Oh, uh, um, Mostly I just cook what I would normally cook and then I just don't make it as spicy. So like tonight I made um, chicken tinga with like an avocado sauce on, on the taco. Yeah. Uh, and then I just made uh, uh, refried beans and um, she like, for some reason I thought she would love the refried beans, but she loved the taco and the chicken, which was <laughs> like, didn't make any sense, but it was like, it made it, like, I was thinking, i was like, Oh, she likes chicken. So maybe it's like salty, yummy chicken to her, or whatever. I, I like, it doesn't make any sense. Like she was just like, I like
1: this. And the tortilla, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Nick, I think one of my main memories of hanging out with you is around food because, like, the first couple of times I think we hung out was when you invited me on your old podcast, Breakfast Quest.
2: Right, and right. So yeah.
1: I can't like think about hanging out with you about thinking about eating cereal with you and and your co-host Lars Castine. Yeah, I mean, like, and I think
2: that. That podcast that I did with Lars was such a good like sort of encapsulation of my philosophy of a lot of things. Right. Which is like just like not being afraid to say you like something that's like mm-hmm. lowbrow. Right. Yeah. So like let's let's watch a uh, uh, point break and let's eat some crummy cereal and not be ironic about the fact that we're enjoying these things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of the wall that I'm hitting with this this food, right? Is like mm-hmm. I I just want to eat in diners, like that's yeah. what my body <laughs> tells me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's only so much you can express yourself culinaryistically through that
0: mm-hmm. or whatever. Right, right. Well, like I mean, big menu Greek diner from, from like Jersey or something. Yeah, with like that's the, a good point. I could get into that
2: like phyllo dough world. Oh yeah, that's yeah. That's a good that's a good angle.
1: I think for me, since lockdown, something I've been craving is like the diner experience of um, like kind of throwing my, you know, like putting a book in my bag or like being prepared to like just read the paper or something, going up to the diner counter and ordering like a stack of really buttery pancakes and coffee and then just chilling out, like reading whatever I'm reading, Yeah. you know, and just taking all the time in the world and like getting my coffee refilled. And ever since we've been kind of confined to our homes, I've just been craving that experience. Oh yeah.
2: It's the, it's the best.
0: Yeah. Oh man. I, I wish we could do that right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as we can, we should just record the podcast doing that. I, I mean, yeah. as soon as we can.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, Mike, you and I are from, Jer- you know, from Jersey, like how, what percentage of our lives do you think, would you estimate we have probably spent in diners? Um, I,
0: there's a good percentage. It's like, yeah. I'm, hovering around 70 already just in my brain
1: yeah it's like we have to make like, like a pie chart of our lives like a big sliver for like you know like the sliver for denny's the sliver for diners like yeah <laughs> different spots different punk kids would be there yeah yeah yeah
2: what's what's the spot in jersey is it it's not like white manna right like that's that's too much
1: was yeah, it I- uh I remember like when I, like Crystal Lake Diner, like in Haddon Township was a big one because I was dating this like inappropriately older guy when I was in high school (laughs) and we would hang out there. Um, And then um, uh, Olga's on the east side of Cherry Hill, which is gone, but that was just like a classic Jersey Diner.
0: That was like where the cool straight edge kids hung out.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, and it's kind of funny. And you kind of see this like, this like pizza hut or wawa effect where it's like when you can tell when the diner closes down and then the, the building gets repurposed into some other business yeah and it's like oh that was definitely a diner <laughs> yeah like which it is, is now a commercial real estate office but it is definitely
0: <laughs> which is amazing that denny's isn't there anymore just like every every place we used to hang out is gone
1: yeah yeah time marches on bitches
0: Kind of like <laughs> what you were talking about yes like
1: in, yeah work it's How's
2: hard. It? It's a hard it's a it's a hard pill to swallow and you just got to I don't know, you got to keep moving or something or find it know. inside yourself or I don't know what it is.
1: Find find the um the little indie bookstore in your soul.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> little little uh indie comic book store in your right in your heart. <laughs>
0: yeah, the Tower Records that's, that's still open.
1: Well, I think also part of it was like when you lose those kind of places, like you also lose like the kind of local weirdos that ran the places.
2: <laughs> I looked a lot of those guys up on Facebook. I mean, oh, yeah? and, and maybe that's like a trying to hold on to the past thing that I shouldn't have done, but mm-hmm. so far I've had good luck. Like the, the dudes who like uh, kicked my ass when I was 12 and let me work in the local comic book store, like I found them online and they're like, you know, they're the same. And they're still like very supportive and mm-hmm. very willing to to call me a nerd, and it's mm-hmm. a nice it's a nice
1: flashback. They're out there. Oh yeah, well, like so, this is like a figurative ass kicking, not a literal one. Uh, uh, let's say mostly like emotional abuse. Uh, okay, yeah, I was gonna <laughs> yeah. say like which adults were like like beating you? Is it? <laughs> 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 they were like ha- hazing you as you're yeah. <laughs> the mean streets of Upper West Side,
2: New York? Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, I, yeah, I found some skateboarders that used to pick on me back in, uh, high school on Facebook. It was,
2: uh, did you friend them or do you just spy on them and be like, yeah, I thought so.
0: I think when I was first on Facebook, I would just friend everyone. And then I realized, then I kind of figured out how it worked a little more.
1: (laughs) I I did that. I did that. And like, I, something I've kind of interesting phenomenon I've, I've experienced on Facebook, you know, like 20 years later or. However, many years later after high school, um, it's like what girls who were never, ever nice to me back in the day now messaging me to come join their like their pyramid <laughs> scheme, whatever pyramid scheme they're part of now. Mm. So I think it was like the pampered chef where they wanted me to like, like, I guess, like watch their pampered chef party on like Zoom and then buy a bunch of kitchen products, which like, have you met me? No. <laughs> <laughs> And then a while ago, it was like skincare products. But yeah, that's been a really interesting development. The uh, person who was never acknowledged your existence, asking you to buy like their like Mary Kay. <laughs> that's
2: rough. But th- there's some level on which that's satisfying, right? Like, I mean, it's mostly sad, but it's like, like, are you, you okay? You you were walking this path. I was walking this path. Yeah. Like that this
1: is the end point of yours, you know? <laughs> like asking people you were never nice to to buy, like to get involved in a, in a multi-level marketing scheme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they might be like, I was
0: popular, so d- everybody liked me, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes, everybody liked you. That's how
0: social media works, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but then I have another experience where someone I never talked to, like, help went out of her way to help me get a vaccination appointment. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was She's lovely. I mean, there are people on Facebook I never talked to back then. I talk to all the time now, and they're lovely people. You know, helping me stay alive. Thank you, Jamie. Shout out to Jamie. And uh, right on. And then other people who are like, "Hey, please join my scam." <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of there are a lot of scams.
1: <laughs> out there. yeah you just but, gotta find the good one yeah, yeah yeah but by the way i have something you know i've got a great business opportunity for both of you i'll talk to you about it <laughs> off mic but um you know
0: the creams we always talk about the creams
1: yeah yeah i'm, I'm seeing some great return i'm seeing some stupid yeah. returns you guys <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, do you like shaving? No, but I'll make you like shaving. Here you go. I got some, I got some creams. They're great.
1: Yeah, it's like, yeah, like, like do you like shaving? Mike's like, look at my face. No, do you, have you met me?
0: <laughs> yeah. I need a filter, maybe the, uh, like an Instagram filter.
1: Like you've got like a nice little like Henry Cable, like, um, <laughs> like square draw line. It's like hanging, Nick, Nick Amadeus, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you?
2: Uh, you know what? Go find me on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash Nick Amadeus. That's I actually checked that. So you can come bother me there.
1: Wonderful. I'm gonna bother you. I bother you there every day. I <laughs> encourage everyone else to do the yes. same.
2: <laughs> thank you guys. This was fun.
1: Yeah, it's almost Thanks, like we're Nick. hanging out. Yeah. Soon enough. Well, I get my next appointment. Thank you, Jamie, on Monday. Um
0: I wanna I wanna see your movie. How can I is it coming out in theaters and or I will be able in to- fe-
2: in theaters April thirtieth, and then we'll we'll be streaming. I think a month and a half after that. But go see it in the theater; it's it's fun. I would love to. All
1: right, I hope yeah. it's still in the theater. Like, cause I have to, I gotta wait that two weeks um, after I get my shot. I hope it's still in the theater. I think it will be. Okay, awesome, awesome. i will be so exciting to see your name. Like, it's kind of like when I saw Carter Logan's name. Oh you know, yeah. Um, on um stuff like when I went to go see that last Jim Jarmusch movie, I was like, oh, I know that guy. And then <laughs> I saw your brother. It's like, oh, I know Nick. Yeah. 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 Yeah, my brother
0: the zombie movement consultant <laughs> <laughs> it's <the> greatest title <laughs> he holds that above me he's like i was in the new yorker <laughs> cuz they were like what? they were like what the hell is a zombie movement consultant
1: as can be i'm
0: about deep in the
1: sea I'm so proud to be a super family. A family brought together by faith and given superpowers through the miracle of modern science.
0: So why don't why don't you ask me, Maggie? <laughs> Mike, what's
1: your thing? What's your thing this week? Well, uh, I don't have like a
0: terribly deep thing i just have like uh something that i like uh and that's right. and that's the show that is on apple tv called for all mankind
1: oh i've been hearing a lot about that i have not seen it yet my um my uh experience with apple tv shows i think kind of begins and ends with ted lasso it, which is great i watched that uh
0: basically binge that it's like a nice little <laughs> shot of like serotonin yeah uh, for a lot of like dark, dark shows. What I like about Ted Lasso is that, um, it's a, it's a show that has a main character that is a good person, Mm -hmm. not just a horrible person who wants to like, it's not like Ozark or, Mm -hmm. or Breaking Bad. Like you're not rooting for somebody who's just awful. Like, you're genuinely you're like oh this guy is just like a good person and he makes people better around him and that's yeah, the show. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so you're you're experiencing antihero fatigue, is what I'm going. I'm gathering. I think yeah. so. When it's done a little, I mean, I do like a lot of that stuff,
0: but it's like sometimes it's just a little bit too much.
1: Yeah, it's not yeah. what we need right now. Let's just say. Gotcha. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's definitely nice for this time. Um, I'm a big fan of Roy Kent. The guy, the older. Uh,
0: oh, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. amazing. He is hilarious.
1: Yeah. He is the love of my life. Yes. I ship him. <laughs> and what was her name? The uh, Juno Temple's character?
0: Uh, um, Crap. It's, I'd never remember any characters' names.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, yes. I hope oh. they have a million babies together.
0: Any, oh, yeah. I'm rooting for that.
1: So tell me about For All Mankind, because I have not seen it, but I have seen a lot of chatter on my timeline. About so, it.
0: I'm, I'm like a big Ronald D. Moore fan.
1: Uh, I don't know who that is. So I'm going to learn a lot today.
0: So Ronald D. Moore, my wife told me today, which I didn't know, was uh, I think the di- director or creator or something of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Had mm-hmm. no clue. Uh, it's not one of the worst Star Treks. <laughs> so <laughs> he had a pretty good start. Uh, but he's most known for doing Battlestar Galactica, the reboot. Which is, oh, you love Battlestar Galacta. It's incredible. It's fracking incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get a little <laughs> nerdy there. But uh, he, he did, oh, he did Outlander too.
1: Okay. Okay. That's a nice, the good one for all the horny ladies out there. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> Shout out to all the horned up ladies. We would definitely watch that on date night. Oh, hell yeah. Like, yeah.
0: It's a weird horny time travel show. Uh, you know, that's, mm-hmm. I think I just described all of it there yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's the plot (laughs) she goes back in time and gets horny yeah um but uh but this this show is really cool uh it's a an alternate history of the space program okay so oh man you know i I almost don't want to describe what happened what it is because i didn't know when i first watched it and it was so cool but it is right in the description of the show so i i will just spill the beans. Uh, it's basically imagines that the Russians landed first on the moon.
1: Um, okay.
0: And then sort of all of the timeline that happens after that.
1: Um, so it's like, we're, we're, you know, the premise is, what if the Russians uh, won the space race?
0: Yeah. But okay. uh, or, uh, yeah, like, or just got to the moon first and then how the space race just continues on through, I think the second season goes to the nineties. Like, wow, in okay, 90s. interesting. Uh, and it follows different astronauts and their, uh, like different generations of astronauts. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's just like really cool. It's really good in that Battlestar Galactica way where it's, um, uh, sort of deals with impossible situations and huge tragedy and just like intense moments, uh, you know, sort of, uh, uh, with the backdrop of the Cold War. Um, and it's just really good the the we watched the first two seasons and um i i just feel like the show needs to get more love like people should watch it
1: do you think because it's on apple plus maybe and it just seems like a like a kind of platform no one knows how to use is that kind of do you think that's kind of hobbling it a little
0: well i guess i kind of got suckered into it because right now we're <laughs> where we're living uh we were we're living in a sublet and they have apple tv so uh, okay i just i well i did sign up for it because they had it and i ended up watching this
1: right (laughs) but it was
0: like i felt like it was worth it for this and ted lasso like both of those were are are really incredible shows and
1: is there anyone i would know in the show or anyone i should
0: know um Again, I'm really bad with characters' names and actors. But okay. <laughs> pr- a bunch of character actors, you would know. Well, there's the guy. Do you know that show? Okay. That, this is how I, j- I describe who the characters are. Do you know that show, The Killing, okay. that was on for a long time? That Danish actor, tall, yes. skinny guy? Yes. He is one of the main characters. Oh, uh, I love that guy. Yeah, he's Okay, great. cool. Uh, Joel, Joel, K- Joel Kinneman. Yes, Joel Kinneman. Yeah. Uh, and then... Another... I happen to be great with names, so I'm <laughs> there's another character who looks like our friend Ed Berger. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> his name is Gordo. I remember him. Okay, it's one of the greatest characters in the show.
1: Okay, I'm... so I'm gonna I'm gonna be sitting there like, oh, there's that guy, that motherfucker, that guy over there, her. It's like that. Oh the... yeah, her.
0: <laughs> there's also the old guy, the old bald guy, um, with the with the sort of gravelly voice. so I was like, hey man, like.
1: It. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> i'm just gonna watch this just so i can see like fuck. that sounds like is that ed harris maybe like is that <laughs> no he kind of he's the other
0: guy who kind of looks like the dad from that 70s show
1: <laughs> okay so not um hurt wait uh kirk uh shit.
0: yeah but Kurt, you know who i'm talking about the
1: other guy yeah I know the character, exactly actor. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm just going to start watching this just to be like, all right, who who, who might describe this guy as the gravelly-voiced bald guy? Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> like that's going to be my whole experience watching For All Mankind. <laughs> this is the way I watch television, too.
0: It's amazing. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the guy <laughs> who looks like the dad from that 70s
1: show. He's in everything. I recognize him. Oh, people I've seen before. Oh, Like when you're
0: watching Law & Order or something and they have like a special guest.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Kevin Smith is uh, unloading a beer truck, and <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess I've seen him, but you never, you know, he's always with a different woman. But there is one lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah,
0: but I just want to like say, check out the show. It's worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really good. Uh, and, and it, in a weird way, it deals with like American issues in an interesting way. Oh, did It's tell. Fictional. Uh, just about like patriotism, like, uh, the cold war of like, Mm -hmm. who's good and bad. And it kind of like, like exists in this awesome gray area that a lot of his shows do, like the way Battlestar Galactica does. Okay. Um, it exists in this gray area where none of the characters are all good or all bad. And, um, they just are reacting to these like incredible situations. Like just the, the space stuff that happens in this is pretty awesome. Uh, but yeah, I would recommend that's basically my thing. I mean,
1: well, that kind of ties into a show I'm watching now. I'm watching Deutschland 89. Oh, um, I, I watched the
0: first was it 83 is the first season. Yes. It's so good. I haven't watched 89 yet though.
1: Oh, it's great. Yeah. So I'm, um, so I'm going to watch that afterwards, but yeah, it's kind of the same thing. The cold war, who's good or bad? Like,
0: yeah just kind of like showing people lost in this strange world that what's what's
1: the difference between patriotism and djangoism um yeah yeah Yeah.
0: Uh, the first season is really good of that show um which is if you also our listeners should watch that show which is about a kid from east germany who ends up like going to west germany to spy and then sort of like all the things that happened to him yeah
1: and he ends up like well i guess i shouldn't spoil but um so he but he kind of gets recruited by his aunt who's an intelligence officer but against Mm -hmm. his will where she's having he's having tea with her and um the, the spy that they initially recruited for this mission um was killed was assassinated so they um so she recruits him but he doesn't know he's being recruited he just thinks he's having tea with his aunt then he you know like he drinks his tea he's feeling funny then he wakes up in west You know like west germany
0: yes oh yes yeah it's been a while since i've seen it but the first episode i was like i'm in any 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 sort of weird uh, especially like foreign shows i find yeah like to be like uh, there's a lot of really good german shows like uh dark was really good uh babylon berlin was really good um which are just strange and interesting weird shows I don't know, maybe because uh, it's just a different culture, but they, like, sort of are familiar, like, they're, like, vaguely familiar themes, you know, like mm-hmm. when you watch a foreign show where... Yeah,
1: well, yeah, my, my roommate is, um, my roommate is getting her graduate degree in French at the moment, and she watches a lot of French language shows, mm-hmm. and um one, one which called Spiral, which is basically, like, the, um, dark, you know, it's a dark, gritty cop show, um, but it's basically, like, the French, like, wire (laughs) and it's kind of interesting how like these trips yeah like how these trips can kind of play out like across cultures like these the tropes of like cop shows and like no one's really good or bad or there
0: was uh that reminds me there was a show i think it's russian but uh my friend told me about which was uh, it's it's called the sniffer i want to say and it's like about a cop who has like a really intense sense of smell and he uses it to solve mysteries okay but he's also like really cool and sexy too
1: (laughs) that kind (laughs) of sounds like i remember there was a cop show like 10 years maybe 10 years ago maybe longer my sense of time is just obliterated but um there was a cop show i remember like like a network cop show here and the per- the guy was blind the detective was blind but he was yeah. like he used all his other sentences to solve the crimes what so was that show
0: oh I if you, forget if you are listening to this and you know what sh- the blind cop show is
1: please yeah. and please it was also let also us know like, and it's also like one of those like smartest man in the room shows where you know like where they <laughs> like it's like especially like of shows about like a quote unquote profile or where they just walk into the room and see like he has father issues you know? <laughs> And they see
0: all the clues that no one
1: saw, and you're like, "Come on!"
0: That's what the sniffer was like, <laughs> where he walks in, and it's animated, kind of like um, the that new sh- the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock Holmes show. Yeah, where he goes into a room and he kind of goes, and then. All these little things come up. It's like he was seven feet tall. He he didn't like his wife. He you
1: know he wore a brown shirt. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Like all the things he's thinking. Well, I just yeah, it's just like take a big whiff of justice, my dude.
0: But then he like drove a cool car and was like sexy too. He was, and there's like, oh, sniffer, you know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The unending sex appeal of this man's powerful nose. It was like very
0: like Russian Eastern European.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's like kind of drives me crazy about cop shows. And I think it's something that the movie Richard Jewell kind of touched on. Mm -hmm. But it's just like how much of this is kind of junk science, like profiling. Mm -hmm. Like how much of that is just kind of made up bullshit. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, like the whole thing about um, the 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 myth of like serial catcher or uh, serial killers being super smart and like yeah. methodical where it's just like mostly they're just really hard to catch and cops aren't good at catching them.
1: Yeah. Well, it's because, I mean, some of it's just like, I mean, murder victims are usually murdered by someone they know. Right. And so that makes it a lot easier to catch them where it's like when you're not, this is someone where it's just like not in your orbit. Who is it? Yeah, you know, where it doesn't make sense. Why is a stranger killing? You know, like, well, I think that probably makes this person a lot harder to catch. Oh, you yeah, don't have established relationships
0: or because it's random. Like, yeah. it just it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but most serial killers are not like have like the map on the wall and like are doing. I'm doing this as a ritual for the whatever. <laughs> you <know? laughs> like, you'll never catch me.
1: Yeah, they're not. They're not like Francis Dollarhide yeah. and their Great Becoming
0: calling the police like i am the captain you are the mouse he he. you know all sorts of serial killer riddles that they portray them it's just like no they're just psychopaths who kill people and you wouldn't know that and, and to see them or something or richard ramirez you probably would you'd be like that guy kills people
1: yeah, like you're like,
0: whoa. <laughs> just like you're not getting a regular job. You are up to something. You are. <laughs> you're doing some shit, man. Just like filthy, covered in blood, like he lives in <laughs> and, like a weird hotel.
1: <laughs> yeah, like the, I think he like also like his teeth were just like falling apart because like he was
0: just, yeah, didn't didn't brush. I'm sure he, that uh, dental hygiene was not high on his list of yeah, things to did. do.
1: <laughs> that that was kind of an afterthought. <laughs> Oh man. <laughs> I got to draw a pentagram on my palm first and then whatever happens happens. Oh, we did that I do
0: you know that Ghost Adventures did the Cecil Hotel where he lived?
1: The thing I associate with the Cecil Hotel is just the woman who was found like the, the like the creepy elevator. Oh, um, uh, Elisa Lamb, the, the That's it, yeah.
0: the woman who was touring or on 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 vacation. Okay, yeah. Um uh, yeah, so we did an episode about her and then we also did an episode just about like people in the all the things that have happened in that hotel, and it's mm-hmm. insane. There was like not only did Richard Ramirez live there, but there was like another serial killer who who lived there, who was like emulating him in the '90s.
1: Really, uh, what was his name? Oh uh, shit,
0: I do not remember. I should probably Google it. That's okay. No, the guy. no I, I won't. I won't Google it. That a comes, scary
1: dude lived in the hotel.
0: So he was a serial killer who went to jail for murder. Uh, from some Eastern European country. And then the cops, Mm. for some reason, hired him as a consultant in LA
1: to help them solve crimes. Is Uh, that like where this trope of like, to understand a serial killer, you have to understand how they think. (laughs) You must get into the mind. Like all that trope of...
0: But he didn't, he didn't help them. He just kept serial killing. <laughs> it was just like, what do you guys think? What's going to happen? <laughs> it's like when you hire Hannibal for stuff, it's like, promise you won't eat anybody this time. You know, <laughs> it's like, he's not gonna, He's not going to stop. Come on
1: Hannibal. We're trusting you. Come on. <laughs>
0: You promised. It's like, <laughs> row, 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 like mouthful of like. He's a got, hand. yeah, he's
1: got, he's got like a femur. Like he's like just eating meat off a of femur, just being like, Look you put all really hungry
2: <laughs> the the guys.
0: Uh, Well, well, this is a good segue, Maggie. Yeah. We're talking about psychopaths. (laughs) (laughs) This
1: is a great segue. Yes.
0: What is your thing?
1: So my thing this week, I've been thinking a lot about the Scott Rudin story. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is thing, it's it's hard to call it an open secret because it seems like it was like something, it wasn't even a secret. Like there've been articles written on his behavior before, like 20 years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I think
0: I, I remember hearing something about that. Just being in it my, just seems the like a film sh- business,
1: but it seems like that when the Hollywood recent Hollywood Reporter story came out, like I don't know what it is, like a shift in the culture or a generational shift, where people are just saying, like, correctly saying, it's not okay to treat people like this.
0: We everyone collectively went, "Oh yeah, yeah we forgot about uh, you." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you thought you were going to get away.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess because I guess when Me Too started, the abuse, it was just centered about sexual abuse and, like, not just, like, just, the you know, like, garden variety, just I'm just going to terrorize you everyday abuse that um, he put his assistance through.
0: Maybe it has to do something with that, like, when Weinstein finally, like, went down. Yeah. That it gave a little bit of like put a little wind in the sails of people who wanted to do something about this. Right. You know, right. where I think those people, I mean even just like you know, we talked about catch and kill, like even is that that was the Farrow book, right? Yes. Um it's like th- these people are really powerful and I think mm-hmm. one of them needed to fall before things could really move forward because like a lot of people are so scared of these people because of what they could do to them
1: right and they were also vindictive people um both Mm -hmm. Weinstein and Scott Rudin would wouldn't think twice about like lying about you or just saying you're crazy or and just ending your you know just taking away your whole livelihood um I mean it's interesting the way I mean I don't know what you kind of know about it but like it's just like
0: well like I can't remember a lot. So do you want to, do you want to like.
1: I mean, he would cycle through like, no one really seemed to last very long. So his assistants, um, like he would cycle through them very quickly. He would fire them for like mispronouncing a name. Like he would push people out of cars for either mispronouncing someone's name, not being able, you know, like not being able to sync an appointment to his phone, just like tiny mistakes. That's like, I mean, this is like, you know, it's a fast paced, hard. Office it's hard enough when like your boss isn't like a, a tyrant. Yeah. But um, it just seems like what kind of struck me with datism. Like it seems like he really enjoys exercising this power and like, just like subjecting his assistants to pain and just misery and just relentless torture. Like it's really, really just scary. I think the big like the big incriminating incident in the new round of reporting was like him smashing a commu- a computer monitor on an assistant's hand. Jesus. And then like the, ki- the person having, having to go to the hospital, like fracturing his hand and then the, the kid having to go to the hospital. And these are like kids like out of school. Like, That's, uh, I mean, I
0: don't know. You should not have to work in an environment like that, no matter what industry you're in.
1: Right. And it's just kind of like this. I mean, I think like I've worked in an office like this um, when I was a temp in a completely different industry, but it seems like when you get to a certain level, it's like almost expected that the person you're going to work for is just like once they've amassed a certain amount of power and like influence, like the person you're going to work for is going, like your job is just to cater to every whim and it doesn't matter what they are. Yeah. You know, and it's, and it just seems like that's like across the board, like the expectation once you transcend like a certain, like up to the C-suite. And it's just so, so, I mean, like, you know how hard it is to kind of do a certain, do a demanding job, and then it becomes even harder when someone's screaming at you all the time, you know. What well, I mean, like, it's, you're just gonna screw up. Like, if you're, I'm yelling nervous all the time, I'm just gonna screw up. So, no one's like a, around even long enough to do their job well because, like, they're just working in a presser cooker,
0: yeah. And it's like that sort of cycle of abuse that's hard to break where mm-hmm. you it's like you haze somebody and then you get to be the person that hazes somebody, yeah,
1: yeah. Or, uh, I don't- I also think there's like a badge of honor, probably a badge of honor that goes in this industry of like, hey, I survived that guy. Like I'm like this is the hazing and this is like the price you pay to break into this elite industry. And then Right, once- like
0: almost how uh uh people in the like Marines talk about their drill sergeant or something, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like hey, yeah. what's
0: a ball buster, but like, um, you know, look at me now.
1: Yeah, I'm a top yeah. So I wanted to read this part. Um, so Hollywood Reporter, um, Hollywood Reporter, uh, Report Reporter uh, Kim Masters um, wrote an article um, about why so much of the industry is like reticent to kind of speak out about him mm-hmm. and also like she kind of senses that there's like a a waiting period that these people are just kind of waiting until he becomes like less radioactive so they could work with them again. And so these were kind of, so the executives and the kind of industry insiders speaking to her on background, kind of gave these arguments um, as to why this should not end Scott Rudin's career. So one was, I'm not condoning the behavior, but it's hardly news that Rudin is a horrendous bully. And if you worked for him, it's on you. Wow. And here's another one, I'm not condoning it, but there are very few people with his level of taste and access to material. Wow. Okay. I'm not condoning it, but he trained a lot of people who went on to have successful careers, which is true. He did. But Jesus, at what cost? Um, Then the other one was, what are we going to do? Cancel everyone? (laughs) Well, I mean, maybe the guy
0: who broke his assistant's hand with his uh, computer... Maybe we cancel right. him,
1: Yeah, you know, yeah. maybe that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> like some of it, I just wonder, like if people more of the industry isn't speaking up because then they're kind of opening themselves up to, um, have their abuse exposed.
0: I think so. I, I yeah, uh, I, I think in a lot of media it's definitely that way. Like look at the, um, look at the, do you know about the reply all podcast that was about Bon Appetit that
1: came out? Yeah, vaguely. I mean, I'm not really ensconced in like the nitty gritty of what that drama was or what that situation was.
0: Well, I, I mean, I will say I, I used to work at Bon Appetit, so I won't really okay. talk too much about what what they what, that situation. Everybody knows about it at this point. Yeah. Um, but what happened was the Reply All did a um, podcast about what happened mm-hmm. there and about the culture there. Right. And, what ended up happening was somebody who worked there who was sh- trying to start a union uh, started talking about the woman who did the podcast, who turned out was actually busting the union there. Whoa. And it just sort of blew up in their face. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then they only had two episodes of the podcast actually come out. Um, and, and I just think it's like, if you want to talk about this kind of stuff, It's like, you need to make sure that you are also not guilty of the same thing. And I think a lot of media is, you know, they have like unpaid interns. There's probably like issues with uh, pay and stuff, Uh, you know, issues with diversity, all these things like they are probably guilty of. Yeah. They don't want to show to the world, but it's like throughout a lot of media. Like I'm freelance, so I don't really experience a lot of it, but you know, people who work in offices, uh, at these companies do complain about, like, it's not just whatever, uh, bon appetit or whatever, or it's not just reply all as soon as they start, you shine the light on it. It's just like everybody's bad behavior comes out, you know?
1: sometimes there are just these kind of really flashpoints too like for example mm-hmm. like when like a lot of com- you know brands started like taking publics you know making their support of black lives matter public you know like on their social or whatever after you know after the george floyd you know the george floyd murder like they really opened themselves up to like the exposure of how much racism they were perpetuating in their own workplaces right yeah and it's like I hope it's a, rightfully so. They should be aired, totally aired out for that. <laughs> Absolutely aired out for that. But yeah.
0: Well, if you're going to try to make money off of something like pride or black lives matter, yeah. it's like, you better make sure that you're actually living what you're preaching mm-hmm. because it is, a it's like, it, it, it's a tough balance to maintain because the working world isn't always set up with the way activists want the world to be. I mean, I think it's just, yeah, it's just plain and simple. It's like the, you know, the, it, uh, you know, the heads of Black Lives Matter, I'm sure probably don't see eye to eye with like the CEOs of whatever company, like, yeah. you know, what uh, uh, Nike or whoever is using, you know, slogans like theirs or something, you know?
1: Right. Yeah. Like, like putting like, yeah, it was just, um, or it's just like I remember when Lee Michelle, like, like posted it in solidarity of George Floor and she really, op- you know, and then like, I mean, it was kind of an interesting flashpoint where it's like, and I'm really glad it happened where people were called out. Yeah, and and they should be, you know? Yeah. Because
0: I I think um, the way the culture goes, it's always like you do want to go with the tide of where the culture is going and be relevant. And Mm -hmm. that's sort of like also what makes you a good business person. But the problem is... Mm the goal of business is to make profit. The goal of business mm-hmm. is to in- increase productivity and reduce freedom, you know, like,
1: mm-hmm. well, so, but you can take that a step further and just say capitalism is predicated on sowing division and inequality. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless it, it, or it wants to make money off of equality. If that's going to happen, you know, <laughs> <Right. It's laughs> like just, if the that's capitalism. the way you're going, we
1: want in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like how can we make money off of social justice about actually investing in social justice or yeah yeah
0: yeah the, that kind of cynicism yeah it's like the we'll do kind of social justice we'll do we'll we'll like i don't know we'll get we'll have like pizza day at in the office
1: <laughs> yeah you can yeah but you know, i everybody likes pizza yeah Yeah, but like back to so back to this Rudin story, it's just like crazy to me that like, like these people and these like kind of horrible personalities were kind of talked about with kind of such reverence of like, oh, he's kind of a psycho, but (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's almost just like,
0: like Ridley Scott torturing basically the cast of aliens to get a good
1: movie. It's like, how can, but I just like wonder about like, how can like culture like, Culture has, for some reason, married this notion of genius and tyrant,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's like you don't; these aren't like, you know, like they're not this. They're not, one doesn't exist about the other. You can treat people well and make incredible art. I, I think. I a hundred percent agree with
0: that. I also, mm-hmm. you don't need to, or or just because it's like a really good movie, like there's no correlation that because this person was crazy do you know what i mean like he just is crazy and made this amazing movie and yeah. i don't think we can truly know that if that movie is so good because he was crazy or whatever well you know? yeah
1: it's like the shining like you know i think that still could have been a great movie i don't believe stanley krubrick needed to bully and abuse <laughs> Shelley winters to the point that, you know,
0: yeah yeah exactly you know, the point
1: that he did or at all for that matter
0: and it's like my my proof of that theory is that plenty of people have made incredible films uh, plenty of people have made incredible films and also been nice people
1: and, Oh, you want to name any 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 names um oh
0: well i mean i've worked with jim jarbish he's really nice oh lovely lovely he's like what's, the what's sweetest you like to hang out with He's the sweetest, nicest guy, really talented, likes to shoot the shit, talk about art, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, oh, I worked on that Stooges documentary with him, which is mm-hmm. awesome. And it was it's a really good movie. And nobody was cruel to anybody. We were just <laughs> <laughs> we just made this cool movie and had a great time doing it. Like
1: love to hear it. Love to hear it. Yeah. I just like. I mean, it really, it seems like this like kind of abuse that Scott Rudin unleashed on his assistants had really long lasting, you know, trauma, like some of them experienced PTSD, like he treated white male gay assistants a lot better than he treated women Mm. um, or people of color, you know, that worked in his office. And it's just like one of his assistants like started developing mental health problems while he worked with for scott and then according to his twin brother who put out this really devastating video took his own life like wow. years later as these kind of like problems kind of compounded but yeah and it's like what
0: has scott rudin done that is justifies that you know yeah
1: like what <laughs> yeah but like, like what, what aaron sorkin production of um you know right. to kill a mockingbird is more <laughs> you know more <laughs>
0: If that never happened, I'm sure everybody would still be fine.
1: Yeah. There was a great article that came out at Vulture this week where like former assistants, like over like 30 former assistants just came out and told their stories. And it was interesting to see like how much the talent knew about like this person's behavior. You know, when they Mm. came into the office, like one shared a pretty poignant um, anecdote about Chris Rock kind of coming through the office. I think it was for top five, um, Scott Rudin was producing. And he, when he walks through, he, Chris Rock just says to everyone, you can relax, I know he beats the shit out of you all day. Wow, they yeah. just they just knew at that point. Yeah, yeah. Cause and, yeah,
0: I do, cause I, I wanna say there was like a sketch on some show years mm-hmm. ago that was like making
1: fun of this sort of, or well, like- I mean, I mean, this trope was played for laughs and um Entourage. Like, oh know, like, yeah. I mean you have like um the um Ari Gold's character is based off Ari Emanuel, the um you know the powerful super agent. Mm-hmm. Um you know in Hollywood Ram Emanuel's brother and it's just played for laughs of like just saying homophobic things and bullying and throwing things at your assistant. It's what that's just like what powerful people do. <laughs> yeah, and
0: I I like I mean, I don't know. I guess I really hope that that paradigm is changing because of things like this. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Like, uh, uh, I I mean, I've certainly felt it in the film world and working in production that Mm -hmm. from when I started at like ABC News in 2006, there was more of that attitude of like, if you screw up, you're fired. It's your last day at work. So don't like fuck up and, you know,
1: And when you're scared and nervous, like you're going to fuck up. That's just like, you make mistakes when you're in that state. Mm -hmm. Like when your hands are shaking, you're going to misdial the phone. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And what now I find
0: that like, and maybe this is just that, I mean, that was like just that aspect of, of production. That was like that. But since I've moved on, I've just only found like better and better sets to be on and better and better people to work with. And maybe that's just because I'm picky too, but Mm -hmm. I I feel like as younger and younger people get into the business, the business feels better, Mm -hmm. you know, like you think there's like a generational shift. Yeah. Like the younger generation is not like that. The generation that was older than me, where it was just like, oh, the newbies here, you know, (laughs) (laughs) roll roll this cable newbie kind of attitude. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like I would never, like I would never want to do that to somebody on set. And now, like I, I don't think I've seen that in years, where like people are just straight out hazing somebody.
1: Yeah, someone like I was, I mean, someone I know that works has like written for sitcoms for like years, like since the '90s, was telling me how there's this kind of culture of showrunners like back in the day, of like just kind of being really sadistic towards. Um, like PA, like the, um, production assistants. And there's usually these dares of getting them to do like humiliating things for a hundred dollars because like, Hey, the PA broke. They'll take out, you know, like, yeah, a hundred dollars is great. And like the show, this culture of showrunners being like, Hey, eat this whole jar of mayonnaise, do this, do that, you know, for my amusement, for this like broke kid that's just trying to start their career.
0: <laughs> I definitely have run across showrunners like that. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, but very few. So I'm like happy to not work with mostly with people like that, but yeah, that's, uh, that's good. That's good. But you get sort of the mega showrunner is a true thing in like reality television too. Like they can yeah. be like, cause it's a, that's like oh, a yeah. really fast paced kind of high energy, long days thing. So people like work, work and party really hard, you know, in, in reality television.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So it oh, can get Yeah, so it can get pretty crazy cuz it's a lot of like, you know, mostly younger people can do that. Live that life cuz you go yeah. 3 months somewhere, you shoot whatever 5 6 days a week, 12 hours a day, and then people just go out and like party. So you can get crazy. Cuz <laughs> it's only 3 months and then you come back and you don't work a month and you just chill.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is there anything like, I don't know how much you can say, but like, it's like, what's the craziest thing you've seen, like a reality TV showrunner do or. Mm, I, I don't know. It
0: almost is. I think it's almost more <laughs> salacious for me to say, I don't want to say,
1: okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but I don't want to say,
1: so you've seen some shit is what you're, yeah. what you're telling yeah, me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I'll tell you later. Okay, great. Off mic. Oh man. Maybe this will come out in the DVD extras in 20 years of our yeah. of our podcast.
0: Three thing. Dun 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 off mic.
1: Yeah. <laughs> After dark.
0: <laughs> Behind the zoom screen. <laughs> My side of the desk. <laughs> um so, is there anything else you want to say? This
1: is we 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 did this. We did it. We had a full fucking episode.
0: Yeah, felt good. Like that it was it was tasty like um those that chicken tinga taco I made tonight. <laughs> with avocado sauce that my kid liked.
1: All right. So we should we take ourselves out? We uh how do wanna start the outro?
0: Yeah. As usual you can find me anywhere at Michael Gugino, whatever.
1: You can find me at Maggie Sorota on Twitter where I am wasting my life. I am spending probably eleven out of 24 hours a day there. So come find me and harass me. (laughs) Um, If you like the show, please, please, please review, you know, leave a star rating, share, tell your friend, tell your pets, tell your mom. Yeah, send us a casserole. Tell tell, like maybe one of your former stepdads you don't talk to anymore. Um, You know, maybe a nice little way to get back together with Dennis, you know, to get back in touch (laughs) with Dennis and tell him about the show. He might like it. Yeah, he might like it. He seems like. He seems like a guy who would. That seems our Dennis. Uh, tell me to watch For All Mankind, too. It's good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm trying. I'm working for it, Ronnie, Ronald D. Moore.
1: <laughs> At me. All right. So
0: this is another one in the books, Mike. Another one in the books. See you next time when we have You're in for surprise
2: <laughs>
1: You're in for a shot In London town streets When there's darkness and fun When you least expect me And you turn your back
2: Your ear. Podcast Network.